podcast one production. My husband is a fubber. Do you know what that is? <laughs> Have you heard of it? It's a phone snubber. So as soon as I start talking to him, he puts his head down and starts scrolling in the phone. Can you imagine how annoying that is? You know what else he is? He's a fast clearer. So picture this, we're all around the dinner table, it's very messy, there's food everywhere and I always save the best bits for last, like the yummiest bits of my dinner and then I lean over and I'm helping a child probably stop themselves stabbing themselves in the eye with a fork and I turn around and my plate's gone <laughs> and he's whooshed it away because he's just like eat and run <laughs> and it drives me nuts. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've got a list. It's a laundry list of gripes and I sometimes carry that list around and it gets bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier until one day the smallest little thing just makes me explode. Now, of course, these are kind of trivial examples that I've given here, but what happens when these gripes actually go a bit deeper? When the issues affect our very core how can we foster that deep connection that we once had and avoid arguing and stonewalling and all those things that just build up resentment between each other? This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. And in this episode, I want to find out how we can keep growing the love for each other even once the kids come into the picture. Jackie Manning is a clinical psychologist who specialises in relationships, particularly managing parenting stress. She spent the last 20 years working with couples to restore their connection, recover from relationship traumas and foster shared values to bring back joy and fun into the relationship. I'm really keen to get her insights into how we can avoid murdering or at least wanting to murder our partners. Hi, Jackie. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Amelia. In your practice, what are some of the most common traps that you see relationships fall into after kids? So one of the things that I think has a profound effect on relationships is the way we actually live in our Western society. We live a very individualised way in that we don't live in tribes anymore. So we don't have, you know, half a dozen family members around or next door or just up the road that can help us out with our children, which is a hugely demanding role being a parent. And I know I had that thought when I first had children that where's my tribe? Where are they? Where's someone I can just hand my baby over to for half an hour so I can lie down and have a nap or get the energy back to put back into my relationship. So I think our relationships do suffer because there's so much pressure on us. So we're not going to go back to living in, in huts, that's that's clear. But to realise that that dynamic is there and that can have an effect. And so to not think it's you doing things wrongly or badly, that we are dealing with a lot of pressure. So we're starting from this place of intense parenting and then what happens to our relationship when we're in that intense situation? What are some of these traps that we fall into? Well, our relationship can suffer because we put all of our needs into that relationship, whereas before we'd be able to spread it out between a number of, of you know, safe family adults. So we're expecting them to be our best friend and our helper and, our, and, we, and they're our village. And so we do need to carve out ways where we can get support from other avenues because that's just raising children. Like there's the old idiom, it takes a village to raise a child. And we know that's true, but we need to put that into practice. And what that can do is take the pressure off you and your partner and leave more space and time for connection and for, for fun together, 
which can feel like it goes out the window when you first have children. And so when you see couples come into your practice, because you're a relationship expert, so you do a lot of couples counselling, mm. I would imagine, what are the common complaints or themes that couples come in to talk about? So they talk about um, the pressure on on their work, like their workload pressure. So whether that's at home or work or both, um, they talk about the fact that they're not having so much fun together. They're not communicating terribly well, or the, they're communicating in a really bad way. Um, the the intimacy seems to be lacking, and by intimacy, I mean connection, friendship, vulnerability, not just sex, although that's part of the picture as well. Um, and they've got into bad habits. They've got into a bit of a rut. And so they find themselves having regular patterns of discord and discomfort rather than fun and connection and, and positive times together. The broken record exactly. arguments. Yes. And that pop their heads up in, in various shapes and forms, but underneath it are the same themes. What I find quite profound is that you actually end up spending a lot more time in in many cases with your partner because you're doing you know activities with the kids. How is it that you can spend more time with someone but have less connection? Because well, you know your conversation gets interrupted ten times a minute, <laughs> so you don't get to finish a thought or a sentence um, because there's other needs that present themselves. And so it is important to carve out some regular time together, and it doesn't have to be for that long. So we fall into the trap of thinking oh, I'll just wait till we can go out for a date night or go on holidays, holidays and those night. big events. And so, yeah, they can happen, but, you know, time's tight, money's tight and not everyone can do that. And obviously I think it's better anyway to program little bursts into your week or your day. Ten minutes a week could help salvage a relationship and really eyeball each other, really connect and talk to each other without any other distractions. Just Kids are distractions, right? Like they're that's what they're built for. And so accepting that and not fighting against that, but also adding time to spend together, I think is really important. So can you give me a couple of examples of those little things you can do throughout your week to get that connection back? Yeah, sure. So hopefully when kids are in bed, there's time that you can spend together. Obviously, sometimes the temptation is just to zone out on the lounge and to watch telly or to catch up with work or whatever. And I'm not saying don't do that, but put the put the good stuff in first. You know, sit down together, find a space in your house that feels relaxing. So maybe that's not in the lounge room, maybe that's on the balcony or something and you can sit and have a, a talk together, a glass of wine together, make it kind of fun. And no phones, no screens, no laptops, just you and you, you and your partner to really kind of talk about each other and ask how was your day? What's going on for you? How's your life going? <laughs> and really reconnect. So I think 10 minutes a day to save your marriage ideally, but if that's not possible, and I know sometimes it's not possible. So even just a couple of times a week or a walk together in the, on the weekend could be, could be a good use of your time. I have in the past even scheduled a phone call with my husband, actually made an appointment in his calendar Great. to say quick phone chat. And, you know, often it is leading in with some kind of logistical stuff that we have to talk about, but throwing in something in there that is a little bit more of a connecting conversation, like, you know, how is that challenge you're having really going? And I found that even that has helped. That's as beautiful well. because what that's doing, it's setting the intention to going, you're important to me. I really want to hear how you are, or even if it's to plan a holiday together or something like that, but you're really focusing on each other. And I think that that not only 
in a logistical sense, you are spending that time together, but your intention is there to connect. And we will, we have to schedule our time. You're managing a household as well as jobs, you know, a lot of partners both work these days. And so you've got a lot on and a lot to manage. And so what would you do in the workspace? You would schedule a meeting or you'd schedule time together. It might not sound grandly romantic, but it's going to work. Jackie, a few of my friends and people close to me in the last 18 months or so have separated or divorced. And one of the common themes I hear them saying over and above the connection, but also that their communication had broken down and they were unable to communicate with each other effectively. Can you give me some signs of toxic communication or communication breakdown? Yeah, look, toxic communication can mean a number of things. When there's conflict in a relationship, obviously it can be things like yelling and snapping at each other or criticising each other, being really sarcastic and forgetting to build each other up but to drag each other down. I find people talk to their partners in a lot more of a terse way than they would ever talk to their friends. And so if you find your tone of voice being really cranky all the time or you're just not looking at each other, no eye contact, or you're giving each other the silent treatment, they're kind of signs to watch out for. The other thing is distance, you know, not not asking each other how you are or not sharing those vulnerable feelings. A lot of us are terrified in parenthood. We don't know what we're doing. It's all a learning curve. And yet somehow we think we've got to put on a front even to our partners sometimes. And I think that can cause the connection to wither away because vulnerability leads to intimacy and connection. And so being able to voice that to our partners, which we should be able to do, they're supposed to be our safe place to land, can really help turn things around. So I think if you find that you're not really interested in your partner, you're not really, you know, connecting in or outside of the bedroom, you're spending no time together, you're just sort of losing touch with each other. That doesn't mean things have to be over, but it's worthwhile voicing and being honest about it and go, hey, I feel like I'm far away from you at the moment. How about we we talk about that? And how about we think about that? What are you feeling? So starting that conversation can be a real game changer. It's funny you talk about vulnerability because this is someone who you have chosen to share your life with, but often it can be someone who you are most challenged to be vulnerable in front of. Can we delve into vulnerability? What does that actually mean when you're communicating with your partner? I think it means firstly noticing what's going on for yourself. So we sometimes expect our partners to be mind readers, don't we? (laughs) And to not really know what's going on for ourselves. So really parenthood can challenge us in so many ways. And one of those ways is that we go back to our own childhood and we think back to how we were parented. And often that's not perfect and not ideal. And so there might be pain, there might be trauma even in your childhood And so when you're in that family structure again, it can trigger those feelings. Sometimes what the human impulse is to do is to pretend that's not happening and to squish it away. But of course, it's there bubbling away under the surface. And what that can do is it can cause misunderstandings or fights based on triggers that are your own emotional triggers. So becoming aware of those for yourself is invaluable, not only for your partner and your relationship, but for your own self-love, self-worth and growth. And being able to share that and the doubts and the worries and the fears about your own self, I think that leads to vulnerability. Of course, it makes us feel vulnerable, even as you say, in front of our partner who's supposed to love us warts and all. But we hide that sometimes. Go, no, I've got it sorted. I'm fine. I think we protect ourselves as well, you know, because 
this is going on for both of us. So I might be sitting here with the story in my head that, you know, my dad left my mum and so uh, therefore he left me and so I'm not worthy and so therefore I'm going to put this protective shield and hide my vulnerabilities. But then there's probably something going on for my partner as well is hiding his vulnerabilities and I think you get this, that's the brick wall. Exactly. When you feel like you're there but you're not, you're, you're not on the same page and I think maybe can you start a sentence with instead of saying you always do this and you do that, it might be more like I'm, I'm feeling, feeling, yeah, I'm feeling this. It's one of the key changes to improving your communication is switching that. That simple switch can make such a vast difference because when we hear the word you, you always do this or you're such a blah, blah, our fight-flight response gets triggered. And so we get defensive. We might be in the room with our partners, but we're really not hearing what's underneath, which is where the gold is. It's There's something going on that's not working for either party or for both people. And so leading a sentence with an I, even saying, I'm really nervous about bringing this up with you and I don't even know why, but I'm feeling quite scared right now. That gives some understanding, some context. You're more likely to elicit some compassion and some listening ears rather than some defensiveness. And it's a really great, simple way that everyone can do to shift the dynamic between the two of you and how you communicate. And if you're not sure how to do it, take your time. We, we have this pressure on ourselves that we've got to resolve everything in the moment, on the spot, in a perfect way. Well, you know, that's that's just crap. That's not going to happen. So take some time to write down what it is that you're feeling. Perhaps even explore why. You might not know why and yet you can feel it in your body and your soul. You can feel that there's something not quite right. So if you examine yourself, you're going to have a better chance of expressing that to your partner and not pretending everything's okay. As you said, it's a real wall builder to just block it all out. It's going to surface at some point or other and it may as well be done in a healthy, compassionate, sharing manner that's going to lead to growth rather than shut down. What about supportiveness? As parents, and I know a lot of mums out there, it's important for us to feel supported by our partners, but it's equally important for our partners to feel supported by us. But as a mum, you get pulled in every direction. How can you find that balance between feeling supported but also being a good supporter? Yeah, I think it's it's really key as well. We tend to jump in and, you know, the kids, and I certainly, in my family, the kids come to you for certain things and they pour all over you and they make you feel like everyone just get away for five minutes. Um, so you're doing a lot of supporting to not just one person, but several. But your partner needs it too. They need to know they're doing a good job. But you need to do it for each other. I think it needs to be two ways. And to notice what you're doing right rather than what you're doing wrong. It's something that can be so simple. And if you can reframe it in your mind, if you can think about a couple of things a day that you like about your partner or that you appreciate about your partner, then it's going to become easier to voice that. And I say to people, voice it. Say thank you. Even if you're saying it through you know, clench your teeth that you've done 10 things and they've done one thing for you, at least acknowledge that to try and get more of that giving energy between the two of you and tell them, say, I really like it when you do that. What I'd love you to do for me is this. So it's not a one-way street, but that you are noticing the effort they're putting in, the the intention to make things positive. If they do something well with the children, acknowledge that. I think a lot of mums put pressure on themselves 
to do things a certain way. And what that can do is that it can create a barrier between the primary caregiver and the partner in that, let's just say your partner dresses the kids and it's in an outfit that you would never choose in a million years. If it's safe for the weather and safe for what you're going to do, then who cares really? Like don't don't butt in and go, oh, what'd you put that on for? Da, 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 da. Just step back. Let them do it their way. They, they're learning too. And I think we forget that. I think we're so much in our own anxiety about parenthood that we can forget that a partner might be anxious too. You know, my mum gave me that advice way back early on and I can remember having a defining moment where I was just bubbled up with rage, I'm ashamed to say, because he dressed her in the most disgusting colours and patterns, but I had my mum's voice in my head and I just thought, you know what, she's safe and I, I just walked away and, you know, he. I'm really lucky. I have got a very engaged husband and it's really worked. And the same with, you know, the way they bath them or I, I know men often have a slightly different um, risk yep. profile and so I'd be, oh, I'll be a bit closer when they're climbing up that thing. But, but that's how they develop their own relationship with the child and I think that's a really important balance yeah, to and have. It's, it's fantastic for everyone. So it's a win for you because you don't have to do a particular chore. Your husband gets confidence and a connection with the child and the child learns some other boundaries as well. And I think that's really good for everyone. I want to touch on you said thank you before and the power of thank you. And in doing research for this particular episode, I've come across that and I actually did it for the last couple of weeks and when Tim always makes you a cup of tea in the morning but I never say thank you and the other morning I said oh thank you honey but like I said it like I really meant it and he goes did you just say thank you? <laughs> he got a shock. <laughs> and why do you think such a simple gesture can have such a profound difference? Because I think we all as humans want acknowledgement whether that's at home or in the workplace and let's face it we don't get it from our kids terribly often they're little tyrants most of the time. Um well, that's that's not true. They do give us <laughs> lots of love. Um, but we don't get that feedback from our kids, at least not for many years. You're doing, doing, doing. And it feels it can feel like a thankless job a lot of the time. And yet I know I like acknowledgement. If I'm doing something for someone, it's really nice when they say, oh, thanks. Or I love it now. My kids can sometimes say, how was your day, mum? And I go, oh, thanks so much for asking. Like, yeah, I'll share something with them from my day. And yet um, we come, we sometimes feel so resentful or annoyed that we're doing a you know massive list of things and so we keep that to ourselves even if it is a nice gesture so open it up say thanks and and ask for your partner to do the same for you well that was my next question what if you are feeling really unsupported by your partner yeah and look a lot of women do so you know I do see a lot of women in my clinic who feel like they're doing everything and that their partners are not very engaged and I think that that imbalance can lead to a lot of a spiral downwards in terms of building resentment and they're not living together. They're not sharing their lives together in, in the same ways that they that they envisage or that they want to. So it needs to be aired. You need to talk about it and go, look, I'm f- again using your I statements, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. This is, this is why. And think of a tangible solution, perhaps if you can. So what would really help me is if you chop some vegetables up in the morning um, to help me prepare for dinner. Or what would really help me is if you could get the kids' lunchboxes out and start chopping up whatever is going to go in them. Would that be possible for you to do? And if your partner says, oh, no, I'm out the door at seven or whatever, 
every day of the week, go, okay, I'd really lo- like try and negotiate, try and find a middle point and go, well, it would really help me even one day a week. It would just take that mental load off, which is huge. Um, I'd really, really appreciate that. If your partner's really stuck and you can't make them budge and you're trying your best, then it may be worthwhile going and seeking some professional help just to have that space to talk it through, to negotiate, to learn. Maybe you're not communicating your needs in the healthiest way and you just don't realise. Maybe you think you are, but a neutral party can help guide you into doing it in a more healthy way and that might lead to some more positive outcomes for both of you. It's a shared thing. We live in a world now where we're all working hard, whether that's in the workplace or at home or both, most commonly, and we it's not a one-upmanship. We just have to pitch in and, and help each other. What about intimacy for parents? A lot more challenging. How can you foster more intimacy? Yeah, it's a big one. And intimacy is not sex. People often confuse those two terms, but intimacy can lead to good sex. And so what intimacy is, is about, again, going back to being vulnerable, being seen, being acknowledged, connecting, talking, those kind of feelings that we get from our intimate partners. Um Mother Nature's a little bit confused on this one because women need that, all those things before they can feel like having sex. I hear from a lot of women that when they're feeling distant from their partner, that their partner might as well be having sex with anyone. They don't feel special. They don't feel seen. They don't feel noticed. Um, and yet I hear from men that that's the way they can feel connected to their partner once they've had sex and they feel like talking and they feel like sharing and they feel like connecting. So we're working a little bit in reverse if you're in a male-female relationship. It's not going to change being like that for, for millennia. So just acknowledge that and work out a way that both of you can be satisfied. I think it's fair to say spending time together and having some fun together outside of the bedroom will lead to more fun inside the bedroom. Women have that extra, or the main caregiver has that extra challenge of when children are little, they want to be near you all the time. They want to touch you all the time. They, they have what I call touch overload, like they've just been touched all day. Yeah, you feel like your body is just a vessel that everyone is just take, take, take. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, the last thing you want is someone else smothering yes, you. Yes, it feels like, oh God, someone else has got some yeah, demands take, on yeah, me. Yeah. And so, but men don't know that because they're not experiencing that or the, the non-primary caregiver doesn't know that. So tell them, tell them that this is a thing, touch overload overload is a thing and it won't be forever but maybe if they can have a break for even half an hour when they get home from work or they can share the the duties for the children that might be enough to refresh them and to get them in the mood to try it out I think it's it's good for partners to ask what they want sexually from each other but not make demands if it feels like a demand that feels like a hell of a lot of pressure and it's not going to be feeling very sexy. The other thing is to schedule it in. You mentioned scheduling in conversations. Isn't that counterintuitive It though? feels so counterintuitive. It really does. And it's not like the, it's not just one idea, but it can really work. So if you can identify that on a Sunday morning, you get a lazy time together or you work out a time. Sexy Sunday. Sexy Sundays, exactly. <laughs> it's better than nothing. And so that can, it can lead to more sex in a more spontaneous way. Life has changed and it's changed forever. And so rather than resisting that, going, okay, we've got this scenario. How can we make it work? And how can we squeeze in some sexy time together? It might have to be quickies every now and then rather than the what you were used to before you had children. Is a sexless relationship a big warning sign? Yeah, it can be. And I mean, that can really depend on what each partner wants from the relationship. So it can be 
a signal that that intimate connection is is withering. Um, there are some people who accept it and are okay with it. So it's really case by case basis. But I think if one of the partners, well, yeah, I mean, probably both partners are, are craving to have that time together again. It just feels like another to do rather than something that they want to do. So working out how the household can run better can lead to more space for that kind of energy. What about resentments? So like, how can we work through either repetitive resentments or even a trauma? So you've got repetitive resentments, like you never pick your undies up off the floor, or you could have a trauma, like um, an infidelity or something like that. Mm. How do you in your practice deal with these resentments? Resentments are, are toxic, you know, we, we bury it, we bury it, we bury it. And then the next time something minor happens, we end up exploding or overreacting. And so the best way to air those small resentments is to deal with them at the time, to air them at the time. And even but if, aren't you at the time too heightened in your emotions? Pick your bloody pants <laughs> up off the floor. <laughs> That's if they've, if they've built up. I mean, if you're doing it as kind of a casual thing or maybe something I suggest to people sometimes is to have a family meeting. That might just be a couple's meeting in the beginning. To have that regular space to go, this is really annoying me this week. You know, I really tried hard to make the systems work. You got the laundry basket right there. Do you think you could make an effort to really pick up your dirty undies? That's going to lead to a more calm conversation and hopefully a better outcome. Give it time. You know, habits take time to form than exploding in the moment. If you're dealing with a trauma like an infidelity, that's a huge breach of trust and that's going to take a lot of work to get through. It is possible, but it's it's deep and it's damaging. And um, But infidelity usually happens. There's usually some reasons that lead to the infidelity, such as the disconnection and partners not getting along. I do think therapy is essential in those moments because I think that working through something like that yourself it's just a tall order, you know, it's, it's a lot for anyone to deal with. So if, if people can seek therapy out, it's really important. What about those hot button topics? So, I mean, I spoke about the undies as a kind of jovial example, but we all will have these hot button topics that we find it hard to talk about or that lead to an argument and you get shut down from the other person. You know, mm. an example might be planning holidays or finance, talking about finances or talking about, you know, career choices and things like that. How do you suggest approaching a hot button topic conversation? I think take your time with it and I think to take some time to write out what it is that you want to express to each other. I think that even sending each other emails or texts or having something printed out that you can both read and share can take the heat out of a situation that you know you're going to get all your points covered and they've got a chance to digest it. Again, we sometimes put pressure on ourselves that shouldn't I be able to verbally find the words, but you can't because you're feeling so much emotion. So firstly, you know, you're allowed to feel angry at your partner. Anger is a normal human emotion. We're going to feel angry at them sometimes. We're sharing our space with them constantly. So to even say, I'm feeling angry because of this, this and this has a much different feel than, you know, yelling at someone. So if you can be mindful of your eye contact when you're in conflict as well as when you're in connection, that's a real game changer as well. I think sometimes when I observe couples in sessions, sometimes they're just not looking at each other. And so you're not noticing. We take in so many cues non-verbally and I think that that's 
a real bonus to be aware of that. What's our tone of voice like? What's the volume of our voice like? What gestures are we making to our partner? Are they threatening? Are they expressing anger in an overwhelming way? Shutdown's a really, really interesting one though. I think, and commonly it is more the male species that does this, generalising there, but um, it can be really disempowering for a woman or for a partner of someone to shut down. And I think it's okay to take time out. So for hot button topics, you might need, if it gets to a volume which is uncomfortable and you find yourself feeling like yelling at them, it's okay to call time out and to say, I'm experiencing this high level of anger. I'm going to go for a walk. I'll be back in half an hour, two hours, even if you don't revisit that hot button topic for two days. But as long as there's an agreement that you will revisit it, that it just doesn't get forgotten, that's the bit that I think a lot of people miss, that when they have a break, that is a good strategy because it gets your nervous system calming down, you start breathing, you start thinking more rationally again. Because with your brain, your frontal lobe switches off once you're in fight flight. Yeah, I call it lizard brain. Exactly, it is. It's the primal part of our brain that just activates. My three-year-old reminds me of that lizard brain on a very regular basis. Good, you've taught them well. (laughs) (laughs) And and you really literally can't, your brain's shot off. So don't put the pressure on yourself that you have to fix it right then and there. But take your time, let your frontal lobe switch back on, think things through. You're only seeing things through your own lens, understandably. That's all we're ever doing. But taking your time and being able to talk to your partner in a bit more of a rational way, a bit more of a expressive way, gives them the opportunity to talk as well. How would you encourage us if we have a partner that's reluctant to go and seek therapy? How... How do we take those first steps? Because it probably is already a hot button topic. Mm, It is really hard. It's really, really tough. Again, you can't force someone to go to therapy and ideally they'd go off their own steam. But to express to them how important it is to you that you seek some space and some guidance on resolving these issues, that it's a skills-based type of session it, uh, people do this with individual therapy as well, not just relationship therapy. They think something has to be terribly, terribly broken to seek out help. That's not true. As we talked about before, it's best to go early. Um, ideally, it can take people time to come around to the idea, so not to despair if they say no the first time, but to keep reinforcing and expressing, maybe at those family meetings we talked about before, to just say, look, I really think this is a challenge for both of us. I don't know what to do about it myself, so I'd really love it if we could seek out some help. Why don't we just try it for a couple of sessions and see how we go and hopefully find someone that you can both make a connection with. People can feel like the therapist is going to gang up on one of the parties. That's never the intention of therapy. It's to look at the relationship. What do you want to get out of it? What do, where do you want to go with it? How can we get there? How can, how can we support you in getting there? So, But I have had cases where they can't push their partner to go to therapy and and it's really, really sad. Mm. It's kind of like a closed, a fixed mindset almost from the partner, which would be yeah, very challenging mm. to be with. So Jackie, for some of our mums out there, they might be sitting here feeling like their relationship isn't in a particularly happy place at the moment. You've given some great advice today. What would a parting thought be or, or one piece of advice that these mums could go and implement Mainly not to feel like you're alone. I think people talk to me, not just at my work, but everywhere about challenges in their relationships. And there's a lot there, out there. When you come together with another person, you're bringing your history into that relationship and they're bringing theirs. So it is going to take some navigation to work that out, especially when you've got children in the mix. So to just think about 
what's going on for yourself, what you're bringing to the relationship. Is there some pain that is interfering with the connection? If there is, maybe you need to do some more self-care and some self-love and and maybe even some therapy for yourself um, to learn about what it is that you really need that just because you're hitting some bumps, not to think that things need to go off a cliff, but is it worth the effort to put in? In most cases it is. In some, I must say as a proviso, in some, if there's anyone in a dangerous situation, if, if arguments and conflicts have got physical, obviously that's a time to really seek help from family, friends and, and professionals. But most often we, we will all face challenges in our relationships between our partners and also with our children and just to go, okay, how can I strengthen myself so that I can navigate in the most positive way I possibly can. And to know that you're going to stuff up sometimes. I stuff up. People come into my office thinking I'm never yelling at my children or anything like that. And that's not true. I try and I do try and keep it to a minimum and and never do it. But I've made mistakes and to own it when you make a mistake, it's okay. We all do things wrongly sometimes or less effectively than we'd like. And the other thing is to remember that your partner Treat them like a really special, devoted friend. They, at the end of the day, they should be like a friendship. And if you're kind to your friends or your family, then stop and think about that. Stop and reflect on that and think, okay, how can I How can I be kinder to them to foster that openness and bring them out of their shell? In your practice, what are some of the most profound exercises that you've done that you've seen the biggest impact on your um, patients? One of them is, is, is eye contact. That's why I mention it. And I think we live in this world where we are distracted by screens. They're not going anywhere. They're not evil. But we do need to realise that that can be a real barrier to how we are, how we're built as humans. Our biology requires that we read facial expressions. We look into our partner's eyes or people we're connecting with's eyes. And just that simple shift of really eyeballing each other. Being focused. Yes. I respect you. I'm listening to you. I'm looking at you. Yes, exactly. It makes us feel like, oh, okay, I'm being heard. I'm being received. And that alone can make a massive shift. When people have awareness of what they're doing, that's or or awareness of the triggers, awareness of the patterns, that's a real revelation because sometimes people are so stuck in their own habits that they don't see it. They literally don't see it. So you can't work on it if you're not aware of it. And that can be like a light bulb moment sometimes when they go, ah, oh, I can make a simple shift and just airing things, talking about things so they don't get stuffed down. Okay, Jackie, I am going home tonight. I'm going to look into Tim's eyes. I'm going to find my place of vulnerability rather than saying you this, you that. I'm going to say I feel and I'm going to look for that deeper, softer, vulnerable emotion And I'm going to say thank you more. Awesome. Let me know how you go. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.